Welcome to the podcast of Imago Day Community, where we are convicted to help bring the whole gospel to the whole person, to the whole world. Join us in this Sunday service as we look to the scriptures, seeking to be transformed into the image of Christ. Good morning, Imago. This is what, who's this over here? Thank you. Thank you for that. For your very loud, very spirit-filled voice. So we have a long way to go and a short time to get there today. I want to uh, first remind us that we've been going through the book of Acts and we've been looking at Luke's eyewitness account of the formation and growth of the early church. And last week, Rick unpacked what it uh, meant for them and by extension for us to be the sent people of God to go out into the world with confidence in the holy enoughness and unstoppability of God. So today we're going to take what looks like a detour, but what is in fact not a detour from our series, but more of a fleshing out of what we've been learning in our series. Most of you know, or many of you know, I'm your global missions pastor now. When Josh Butler left, that was part of what uh, Rick asked me to put my arms around. And I jokingly said, I think with formation and prayer and now global missions, I think they've inadvertently given me my dream job. So you will all get really sick of me when I start to talk about missions and and hopefully we will have a yearly gathering where we will understand that we will have a, a rhythm of remembering what it means to live missionally and what it means that we're saved not just for ourselves but that we are saved so that we can become the hands and the feet and the reach and the groan of God in the earth. So next week I'm going to ask you as we continue in our series on Acts to join me in Acts 9 to talk about Paul's conversion. But before that, I want to talk to you this week as, as um, people for whom missions is personal. I want you not just to look at Paul's life next week. This week, I want you to imagine yourself as Paul. I want you to see Imago Dei in the first church. And I want you to consider that the same God who called and moved and empowered and sent them is still speaking and moving and still pouring out his power and still asking us to go. William Carey said, to belong to Jesus is to embrace the nations with him. And that to know the will of God, you need an open Bible and an open map. So what does that map look like here at Imago? Let's look at it. So here we are over here in Portland. We're gigantic, right? So it can look like, it can look like um, James and Carey, who are over there. They felt called to Japan, and they prayed through it for a couple of years. And over the course of that couple of years, circumstances began to present themselves and they are now going to open a brewery in Japan. They've had a heart for that country. And through a, a series of circumstances, they're going to open a brewery in Japan, open a business and go there. I know there, there's some people in there going, wait a second, what? 
But there's something about vocation becoming what it is we're called to do out in the world, and I think that's awesome. We could be like Dave and Emily over in Indonesia. They've been called to Southeast Asia to translate the Bible into a language for an unreached people group. Sometimes it can look like working our way out of a job. It can look like that um, where we do the things that God has called us to do for a season. And that's what actually happened in Japan, I mean in uh, Vietnam. So I want you to take a look at this video right here from Josh Butler. What's up, Imago Day? I miss you all. We want to celebrate today the phenomenal work you've supported in Vietnam and Cambodia over the years. Because of your generosity, thousands of people now have clean water. Thousands of children are now going to school. Thousands of families now have a roof over their head. Hundreds of women have HIV support. Dozens of new businesses have started. People once written off as drug addicts, genocide soldiers, and prostitutes have received a new chance in life and are leading their communities to Jesus. Dozens upon dozens of churches have been planted. But sometimes it's easier to celebrate one story than the statistics. So here's one. Sebastian and I went to Vietnam to see the impact of Truth Centered Transformation, or TCT, one of our key partnerships with Vietnamese leaders. Every pastor you're about to see has been imprisoned for their faith. Every church comes from extreme poverty and has experienced persecution. But then, with your support, this happened. In Vietnam, the TCT program, the Truth-Centered Transformation, our vision is to see God glorified through the local churches. We want the local church to be strengthened, and we want to see the community move out of poverty. We have done so many projects, but one of the projects that really caused people to think and caused the government to respond is that we build a suspension bridge. Our tribe has moved to this area for 40 years, and we have asked the government to provide material or build a bridge, but they never did. And since we study the TCT program, we decided to collect the money and the resources within the community and build the bridge ourselves. So it's a love. So it's the bridge called love. So they uh, named this bridge as love. Talk about building a bridge to your community. Can you imagine that? I wouldn't have the first clue how to start building a bridge. They actually ended up building 10 of those. And it lifted their community out of extreme poverty and demonstrated the love of Jesus to their neighbors. And it didn't stop there. They also built over 100 miles of road. Long-term or short-term, near or far, living missionally looks different for every person. But what I want you to understand today is that living missionally looks like something to everybody. Every person who calls him or herself a Christ follower is called to be outward-facing and to care for and to love the world the way Christ loved the world. The same spirit that moved James or Carrie or Josh and Sebastian is the same one that takes somebody else to advocate at the Mexican border or foster a parent, to become a foster parent. So how can we know what this looks like for us? Well, Paul gives us a picture of it in, in Galatians 1, 15 and 16. He says in his letter to the Galatians, but when God 
who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. Now when I look at this passage, the first thing that comes to my mind is how certain Paul is, how sure he is of what God has done in him and for him and then ultimately through him. And what I think that we find in this passage are some clues to what it looks like to live a missional life. First of all, it looks like you are interruptible. It looks like a life that is interruptible. Next week we're going to talk specifically about Paul and his conversion and this costly of interruptions, this costliest of interruptions in his life. But how interruptible are our lives? We talk a lot about the intentionality of what it is we do. But how interruptible are we? Many of us say or believe or think that we're open, but we're actually more open to negotiation, right? We're not really open to the leading of the Holy Spirit when he interrupts us the way he interrupted Paul's life. But it says in Galatians, it says, when God was pleased when God was pleased to reveal his son in me. Our calling and the things that we're called to do in this world are led by and initiated and empowered by God. And our openness to what it is God would have us say is paramount to what it is we're going to do when we live missionally in the world. As you all know, I'm always talking about how the breathing of Imago is, is this triangle of prayer and formation and then mission. The inhale or the presence that we have with God is like, like inhaling the spirit. And then what it does in your body is formation. And then the exhale is mission. We cannot help but be missional if we have been changed, if we have been in God's presence. And you will get sick of hearing me say that, but I will say it over and over and over again, that prayer and formation and missions are not things that we can opt into or opt out of, but rather they are rhythms, they are essentials, they are things without which we as individuals and the church expires in the same way that it happens when you simply hold your breath. We cannot help but become missional if we are changed. We cannot help but be changed when we're in the presence of God. We're Gary Friesen, who decides that he's going to say yes to God when God said, move and go, and he went, and we listened to him last week, and every time I see Gary, he starts to look younger and younger and younger, and he's just enjoying himself so much while he's there. I love getting his emails, and if you, if you haven't had his emails, you've missed a treat, so by all means, get on his mailing list, because his, his emails are just great. You can just feel the joy in this man who was as interruptible as he was and now has decided that he's going to live out his life in Rwanda with his Christian brothers and sisters. Well, a life that is missional also looks transformable. Christ is revealed in us. When we look at Galatians, he says, when God decided and was pleased to reveal his son in me, 
We talk a lot about identity, but the truth of the matter is, it is Christ's identity revealed in us that is the goal of our formation. We think of formation as an, as an end in this individualized country that we live in, and we think of our identity and who we are. But it's actually Christ revealed in us that is the goal of our formation. Our formation is a means to an end and not an end. The goal is to have Christ revealed in us out into the world. We are partnering with Celestin, um, Celestin Musikera in with Alarm. And Celestine, he trains leaders in Rwanda who were from different tribes. And now the Alarm actually stands for um, it stands for African Leadership and Reconciliation Ministries. And his goal is to move the church in Rwanda from a tribal practice of Christianity to a more biblical practice of Christianity through reconciliation. And there are people who killed other people's families that are now working together because of the love of Christ between them. We sent our Kenya team out to... Uh, to with the water project and these amazing women who when I first saw this group of women who were going I was like this is like an A-team of people who are going to Kenya but one of the things that I thought was most striking is I spoke to every one of them when they came back separately and I asked them all the same question for them it is clean water and they have or no water at all so what is our lack of water what do we need? And every single one of them had the same answer. What we need from them, what we need from them is what they have in community and fellowship. They need water. We need living water because our churches don't really understand and do community well and fellowship well and friendship well and togetherness well. And they went to this place expecting to simply see and they said when they got there, they were so loved and so cared for so automatically and so unconditionally that it changed who they were. When you think about Paul and that, he, he, says, he says his life was completely changed. Which brings us to the last thing that a missional life is. It is observable. When you look at Galatians 123 to 24 Paul says he was not just changed he became what God gave his spirit for he was a witness he says in 22 that he was not really that well known they didn't know him by face he says but they only heard this report that the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy and they praised God because of me God says in the book of Acts that he would give us power after the Holy Ghost came upon us and we would become his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. That word witness is a word from which we get the word martyr. To be a witness is to give your life for this, for this truth. And what that looks like is the Isenses. Jonathan and Taryn and their family. And so what I want to do is I want to have them come up and I want to spend some time with them and Maurice who spent some time with them. Why don't you guys come on up? What you have in your hands, hopefully, is a card. And if you need one, please, please feel free to raise your hand. 
to get one of these because I'm going to challenge you today. As you listen, as we talk, I want you to listen to the Holy Spirit. Some of you are going to be tapped on the shoulder and told to go. Some of you are going to be tapped on the shoulder and God is going to give you something to say to the Isenses. Something that will encourage them, something that will bless them, a prayer for them, something that will actually let them know that they're family. Because they are. And so I want them to go home with these cards. I want them to go home with your words and your wishes and your prayers and your encouragement. I want them to go home knowing that they've got family here in Portland, Oregon. So let's spend some time together with you guys. Yeah, Maurice, grab that. So first, why don't you guys introduce yourself and kind of give us an update of what you're doing and where you're doing it and just kind of catch the people up who don't know you. Yeah, good morning. Um, I am Jonathan, and this is my wife, Taryn, and these are, our, these are our two kids down here in the front row, Josiah and Irie. <laughs> you can stand up. <laughs> um, yeah, for, for those of you that don't know us, um, we are we're global staff. We were sent out by Imago in 2007, so we've been gone a long time, and we, we've been back a few times since then. But um, we have been serving in Nepal since 2007, and we work um, among an ethnic Tibetan people group called the Karmarong. And uh, there are 7,000 Karmarong that uh, live in 13 villages in the Nepal Himalaya. And um, by ethnic Tibetan, we mean that although they're Nepali citizens, they uh, are ethnically, culturally um, Tibetan. Uh, you, um, yeah, if you, <laughs> um, they draw their identity primarily from uh, Tibetan culture on the plateau. And so you can see this in uh, their appearance, um, in their, uh, their lifestyle, uh, their dress, their language, their religion. Um, yeah, there we go. So this is, uh, this is Kimri, and this is one of the uh, Karmarong villages. This is a geographic center um, of the mission here, and this is a village that we lived in for three years. Um, Okay, yeah, those were both pictures of our home. Uh, this this structure right in the middle of this uh, picture is our home, was our home in the winter. Um, and so the uh, the Karmarong are Tibetan Buddhist, and um, but it's a it's a Tibetan Buddhism that is very different than the Buddhism that is exported to the West. It's much more animistic and superstitious. Um, it's much darker than prayer flags on porches in Portland. <laughs> and um, uh, what else? Um, they're an agrarian people. Uh, they farm. They raise livestock. 
and uh, every year entire families and really communities climb to over 16,000 feet to collect a caterpillar fungus uh, that they then sell to uh, traditional Tibetan, Chinese, Asian, uh, traditional medicine markets and it's their only source of uh, cash income each year. They're, um, this is just kind of an overview of who they are and um, we've been, yeah, we've been working among them for uh, I guess it's been about nine years now. Nine years. So these were littles. They were itties when you guys left. They were like itty bitty. Irie was actually born in Nepal. So Josiah was 19 months when we left, and then Irie was born there. So it's pretty great. Uh, how has this? I can imagine like living there for quite some time and, and raising your kids there. How has, just as we think, as Michelle talks about mission being interruptible and observable, like how have you kind of experienced that as you're kind of trying to do ministry, raise a family in a, in a setting that's not, the, it's not here? Um, particularly during our years in the village, um, I homeschool our kids. Uh, because that's really the only option for us there at this time. Um, and so maybe some of you have that experience. Um, but living in the village, uh, the people frequently would come to our house, particularly with medical needs many times a day, um, asking for our help or just needing assistance with different aspects of life. And um, to... To say no to them would be um, really to shut out opportunities to be with them, um, which is obvious, but um, we felt like we really needed to rely on the Lord's Spirit and his help to enable us to serve whenever it came, um, which I, I think um, here in the United States and in the West, um, our lives are, are pretty separate from one another, whereas in the village, um, you're kind of living life on top of one another, and you have to be um, ready to participate in that. Um, so we've had to grow in that <laughs> a lot. It's been good. You guys have had to, to make quite a few adjustments, and I remember when I was talking to the two of you, um, Jonathan, you were saying that every moment there is has the potential to be a moment for mission. Can you think of like an example of that or? Yeah. Um, yeah, there, I mean, there are dozens of things I can mention, but when we're in a community like the one that you saw, the picture you saw of that village, um, there is there is an annual cycle of life and each season has different presents different opportunities and then there are things that are unexpected um, one example that just always comes to my mind um, one evening and this would be in the the rainy season which is the summer there uh, as it was getting dark our landlord came to our home and um, he told us that uh, one of his cows had fallen off the mountain they raised livestock in on pretty vertical terrain, and it's pretty common <laughs> for animals to fall. Um, but one of his cows had fallen off the mountain just above the, I mean, you can't see it here, but you can imagine above this village. And um, he asked me to go up and retrieve 
the cow. <laughs> and so, um, you know, it was getting dark. It was raining. It was time to build a fire and cook dinner. And um, and here I had the opportunity to uh, go with our landlord and climb the mountain and search for this cow. And we... Um, I did so. Eventually, we found the cow and butchered it, and <laughs> and brought it back down, and um, we enjoyed some beef. <laughs> um, so, it's just an example. But there, there are, um, yeah, just almost daily opportunities um, in in small and great ways to participate in the life of the community, and um, and. All of it is mission because all of it is is witness. It is our Christian witness among the people. Um, and it's our lives themselves are part of how we conceive of, of our witness and mission among them. Taryn, what's the, the clearest picture that you have of Christ working and his spirit working with you all while you're there. When we're there, the I, I think we experience our limitations more acutely than we do where, when we're in this context um, because of the needs of the people and because we're aware that they don't have the Lord and we want them to have the Lord. Um, and we... Um, we also want to be present with them, and we feel uh, the need to really rely on him in that. And so um, one really beautiful thing that happened while we were living in the village was um, just the prayer between the four of us for the people. Um, we, f- we felt like um, God was really in our midst as we prayed together, that he answered a lot of prayers and grew our faith, strengthened our hearts, also, we, we felt that he was meeting us through his word like we had never experienced before. Um, and I think part of that was we were really going to him hungry, needing him so so deeply, and he was faithful to meet us in those needs. As I said earlier, the certainty that Paul had about what he was called to do, you never see Paul where he's not equipped with a why. Why am I doing this? Why does this matter? You know, and, and, and the impression that I get from you guys is that you understand your why. And if you could share a little bit about what that looks like, just what, what's your heart for this? Yeah, sure. Um, in some ways, it's pretty simple. It's, it's three things. It's been three things since 2007 or even earlier. And it is, uh, it's God, it's the Karmarong, and it's us. And so um, we go uh, because God is worthy of the worship of the Karmarong. He created them, he has sustained them for generations and centuries in one of the world's most inhospitable environments. Uh, but more than that, he, um, he sent his son to die so that they could enjoy him forever. And so God's worthy of their worship. Um, the second reason is the Karmarong. Um, the Karmarong have, uh, like you and me, they've committed a great injustice against God. They have not honored him. They have not thanked him. 
um, and they have preferred creation to the creator. And because of this, they suffer greatly now, and they'll suffer eternally unless someone like you or I goes to them and, um, and, and witnesses to Christ. And so we go so that the Karmaron will know Jesus. That's the second reason. And the third reason is, is exactly what you were talking about earlier. And um, it is because our delight in God compels us to share it with others. And that sounds, I know, like something that sounds really spiritual and something that you'd expect a missionary to say. <laughs> but it's not. And actually, it's something that all of us um, experience every day. And um, so if, if you were to think of something, maybe someone, food, drink, an activity, um, a person that you delight in, um, uh, whatever it is, um, C.S. Lewis has helped us understand that your delight in, in that, that thing or that person is not complete until it is expressed. And so it's the same way in our relationship um, with the Lord. As we delight in him, we are compelled. As we, um, as we enjoy him, we are compelled to share that joy with others. And so it's, it is also, we go for personal reasons. It's, it's, it's an overflow. And so um, we go because God is worthy of the, of the worship of the Karmarong because they suffer now and they will suffer eternally unless someone goes and um, shares with them the good news that they can enjoy God forever. And um, those are the kind of the three main reasons that have compelled us and sustained us all these years. And Maurice, you were you got to go and spend some time and share life with them. Tell me, tell me what you experienced and what you saw and what struck you the most being there. When I got to be there, a few things were really striking. I think the the difference. I mean, as you, just as you imagine traveling, just the difference in culture and experience of walking down the street and being like, this is very, very different than anything I experience in my day. Um, and so uh, that was, it was really cool to get to this taste of like, yes, this is what they're saying, like, it's Jesus. I, I don't have any of my familiar things. So I get to say, Jesus, can you help me walk through this? Help me see where you're at, help just every day help me to make it through. Um, another thing that is just really striking to me about the Isenses and their witness to each other and to the community, um, I was walking and, um, sorry, I got to tell a story about you, Irie. Um, she, we were walking um, from one place to another, and I can't remember where exactly, but Irie, picked a, um, what's a dandelion, the ones that you make wishes on, and she handed it to me, and she had one herself, and she said, make a wish. And as a 30-something-year-old man does, I obliged and blew the dandelion, but didn't really think about what I wished for. And um, as kids are wont to do, she asked, what did you wish for? And so I had to (laughs) think really quickly, oh, shoot, what did I wish for? Um, And I... I was, I, like, I love these people. I had never met them before showing up there, and my heart was very full for them. And so when she asked, I was like, oh, well, 
I wish that you and your family could come visit us in Portland. And Irie's like, oh. Well, I wished for Jesus to come to all the people of Nepal. And <laughs> I was like, oh, man. <laughs> you win. Like, the... This idea, this idea that like you're talking about being connected to this why and, and Jesus showing up, like this is um, a kid whose heart and mind for Christ is way bigger than anything I had experienced until that moment. And um, like with a prayer and, and people like that, I, I'm super confident that Jesus's word will reach them because... Jesus meets the big prayer like that, right? Like, he needs us. Doesn't, I mean, he doesn't need us to, but he wants us to say, hey, here's this really huge thing that I can't do, so show up and do the thing. And y'all's presence there is Jesus saying, inviting us as a community to participate in this thing that's way bigger than any wish I could even dream to make. So I'm really blown away by the bigness of the mission, and Jesus is showing up to fulfill it in, in their day-to-day. You guys, you, you really are, you know, the hands and the feet and the reach and the groan of, of God in the earth there. And we miss you when you're not here, um, but we know you need to be there. So thank you. Thank you for doing what it is you're doing and for loving the way that you're loving. And what I'd like to do is is make sure you guys are listening because I know that you know it's like as I'm as I'm even listening to you guys talk I can just kind of sense the Holy Spirit moving me to say some things on here which I'm going to have to do between services because I'm busy right now but um, (laughs) what I'd like to have uh, Maurice do is pray for you guys um, and pray for your whole family before we before we say goodbye to you this service Um, Maurice could you? Uh, would y'all join me in prayer? Wait, oh, one just second. kidding. Bring the babies. Oh, up here. they get to come. Oh, I'm sorry. I just go you, praying for people. It's and then every kid's dream to come. I know every kid's dream to come stage. up here. They're like Michelle. Oh my gosh, <laughs> why? This will be so fun. Great, cool, cool, cool. All right, good job. All right, would you all join me in praying for our friends? God, you are good, and you are worthy of our praise, and you are worthy of the praise of the Karmarong. I'm grateful for the Isenses and the Dales who, in response to your great love for them, um, are desiring to make that complete and sharing it with the world around them uh, by uprooting themselves and going in your strength and in your presence to Nepal to love the Karmarong. Jesus, um, as they're here with us for the next few weeks, would you um, would you give them rest and encouragement? Would you fill their hearts with the love of this family? Um, God, would you meet them and refresh them in ways that they need to be met with and refreshed so that they can um, return to their home, 
return to the place where you've planted them and bring your kingdom with them, that they would again be overflowing with love and care for um, the Nepal community. Um, Jesus, I pray that um, that we would be transformed by their witness as well, that our hearts would um, continually hold this family and the Dales in our minds, that we'd be lifting them to you in prayer. And God, that we would partner with them each day um, to bring your message of hope to um, to the Karmarong. Jesus, I'm grateful that your kingdom is much bigger than me. It's much bigger than the people who meet in this building. And God, I'm grateful for folks like the ICNCs who respond to your call to share that kingdom, to participate in your work. So um, God, be with them today. Be with us all as we move from this place, seeking to live lives that are interruptible with faith that's observable and in the power of your spirit. Jesus, we love you and are grateful for all the work that you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you guys want to spend some more time with this lovely family, you guys are having an event on August August 6th, and we're going to be here. We'll give you more details about that um, there you go. We'll give you more details about that in the coming weeks. But definitely come and spend some time with them. Encourage them. Love on them. Um, so that when they go back, you will go back in not just the power of the Holy Spirit, but with our love going with you as well. So thank you very much. And as I said, I'm out of here. As the, uh, as the praise and worship team comes up, I want to remind us all that the example of the Isenses is very much the example of Christ who gave his life and was willing to sacrifice and willing to move and go and do among people that were wholly unlike him um, in order to bring us close, in order to bring us close to him. So as you come to this table, I would like for you to be reminded that we serve a God who didn't just do all of that, but has empowered us to do the same. And, and not only has empowered us to do the same, but encourages us to do the same. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the time that you spend with us personally. But I am most grateful today for the fact that you look out at the world and say, I love you. Father, we are a people who would like to be known by you and to know you, to be transformed by you. But as you transform us, Lord God, point us outward at the world. Show us who is there that we are called specifically to love. Tap on the shoulders of your people and encourage them to go and to be and to do out in the world in your name and by your love. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. We pray that God will use this message to strengthen your faith and draw you into a deeper relationship with himself. If you're interested in hearing other sermons or want more information about the church, please visit our website at www.amargodaycommunity.com. Thanks a lot for listening.